Welcome to the Learning Can't Wait podcast, a Full Mind production. At Full Mind, our vision is to ensure every child has access to an exceptional education. Each episode, we will be joined by pathfinders within and around the education space who are bringing about transformational change on behalf of deserving students. I am your host, Haley Spearbauer. Welcome back, everybody, to the Learning Can't Wait podcast. I always feel grateful that I get these incredible guests to come on and talk with me and share with you incredible wisdom about all aspects of education. But today, I feel particularly overjoyed to introduce you to Dr. Casey Brock, the founder of College with Doc Brock, who also works for a foundation and is an inspiration in the education space. Welcome, Casey. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited I get to do this with you. Anytime I get to spend time with you is a joy. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question that gets you to tell a little bit about yourself, but I'm going to spoil it. Okay. Casey and I worked together some time ago. We won't put a number on it. (laughs) We don't need to put numbers on it. (laughs) (laughs) In a public charter school in Harlem, New York. And I feel beyond blessed that I was introduced to Casey and have made a lifelong friend and inspiration. So thank you for coming on the podcast today, Case. Thank you. You know, I felt the same. Okay. So Casey, you have done some incredible work in and around this space. Can you start off by telling us all, please, how you came to be the personal and professional version of yourself? That's a great question. I I realized recently and I was having a conversation with friends and I was like, are we mid-year or mid-career professionals now? It feels so weird <laughs> to think that, um, think that way and think that we're actually in a place career-wise where we're kind of setting the tone and we're kind of leading the way in education. But I actually got my start um, similar to you with Teach for America, Houston. I taught for two years there, and then I taught for three more years at the school we worked at together, um, sixth grade, and then got really lucky because um, someone saw something in me. Um, So I was ready to leave the classroom, and I'm a believer in just being really transparent about where you are professionally with everyone around you, including your manager. I know some people tell you not to take that risk, but I feel like if you're good at what you do, people will help you to figure things out. Deep believer of that. And so I was really open about being ready to leave the classroom and was lucky enough that the school we were working at um, decided they wanted to start an alumni program to support students to and through college. So that was my first year in this college and career space. And I did that for about four years, um, then eventually was leading the program, um, moved to New York City public schools because I just wanted to kind of see a different side of education. And I coached principals and college and career leaders in that role. Then I got convinced at a coffee date to go back and start a high school in East Harlem, which was so crazy, but one of the best experiences of my life. Um, And I was an assistant principal there. Then I had to make a life move down to Atlanta. So for the past five years, I've been in kind of like the funding foundation space, leading college and career work. And now I'm actually able to give money to schools and to programs that are supporting college and career work for black and brown students. And I couldn't be 
happier to be able to do this work. I will admit I do miss kids every day. So I try my best to get into schools as much as I can and be around students. Um, and somewhere along that way, I became Dr. Brock, <laughs> uh, which sometimes I forget. Happens. Just casual. I don't know about that. <laughs> easy. Um, very difficult journey. We can talk about that if you want to. But um, I wanted to just become an expert in this space. And so that's what motivated me to get my doctorate in this work. And so I love it. I live it. I breathe it. And I could talk about it all day. Well, I'm glad you're here to talk about it with me. Uh, you know, the way you describe your trajectory, I one, I appreciate the emphasis on your transparency. It can be challenging to be honest and authentic yeah. in every interaction. And, and I'm, it sounds like it really served you well. And I know that hearing that from you might inspire other people to do the same. I hope so. Um, and then I also heard from you this, through line of caring deeply about students, right? So mm -hmm. that's like the subtext and the belief of the, you know, capacity and intelligence and ability of students in all different grades and walks of life. So like obviously folks become educators because they want that for kids, but you now have seen so many sides of it from yeah. you taught early elementary, you worked all the way with kids in college. <laughs> yeah. What is your, I mean, kids today are different than we grew up. Mm -hmm. So what is your, like, to have a thesis or a philosophy on oh my gosh. kids today, what helps to motivate them and what helps to inspire them? It's really hard. You know, I would say for any parent listening, this college process is more competitive than it has ever been. There's just so much access to AP courses and resources. And so SAT uh, scores are super high, like higher than we would ever imagine. Um, college applications, I mean, it's just so hard to get into selective schools now. I've worked with students who've had like 1370s and 1420s who've been waitlisted for schools. And I could have, I mean, I would have killed for that score when I was in high school, <laughs> honestly. Like, no, oh it's, gosh. it sounds very different. It's very competitive. Um, and so I would say, uh, so a couple of things. So one, for schools, my best advice for schools is to think about ninth and 10th grade. Like what is happening in ninth and 10th grade for students to start thinking about what they want that long-term outcome to be for their life and then creating experiences for students to actually see what it's like. So whether that's early internships or career exposure or anything like that, kids need things to latch onto to give them that sense of purpose. I think the second thing is making sure students understand the importance of their grades, GPAs, and rigor of their um, high school experience. So I think it's too often that students in 12th grade look back and like, oh my gosh, I wish I would have taken one more AP class, one more honors class, something like that. But I think it's important for kids to kind of get that excitement about their future and then connect it to their grades, test scores, involvement, things like that. Um, and then the third, colleges really want to see kids who feel really dedicated or excited about a specific topic. So whether it's deep into biology and you started a biology club or, you know, you're really into tennis, which I'm into tennis. So I'm using that excuse or, or that example, but then you become the captain of your team. Like they want to see longevity 
and your dedication. So they don't want to see you hopping around to a bunch of different things. It's much better to find one or two areas that you're passionate about than have 10 different things that you're trying out along the way. Um, So they want to see that kind of like commitment. And then the last thing, and I've been told this by most admissions officers, is they want to see an upward trend in your grades. So for students, um, for parents, for teachers, um, or anyone mentoring college students, it's important for them to know it's better to go up than down because they're thinking like, what kind of student is going to come into my school? And if you're already trending downwards, that's pretty tough. Um, so I'd say that some, those are some of the bigger changes. And then the other challenge right now is just everything that's happening with um, test optional and just kind of trying to figure out what really matters. And in that case, your essays are going to be way more important now. And so are your letters of recommendation. So making sure you have really strong ones and you have assistance with that. And then last, um, the SCOTUS decision, we're all curious to see how that's going to unfold. A lot of colleges are currently just trying to figure out like what they can do to protect um, the admissions like process for students to ensure that it's still equitable. Okay, there's a lot to unpack. It's a lot. A lot. So first so of all, much. I am taking notes about these students, <laughs> these four future ninth graders I have growing up yes. in my home. Uh, as I imagine many parents are. I, you know, it followed the the suggestion you gave here about finding a passion pathway as really like what helps to drive both student interests and college and or university interests feels aligned to what we know about neuroscience and the brain. Yes. Like students are more motivated when things are real for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like maybe at the tail end of us growing up, a lot of parents were still, and, and guardians were still really pushing for kids to just do what was lucrative. Yeah. Do what was a approved pathway for society. Whereas today it sounds like find your passion, which is a word, mm-hmm. but finding your passion and really pursuing that and going deep into it has, has shown to be beneficial in the college admissions process. For sure. Absolutely. Like, yeah. That sounds, I mean, really great for motivating kids. Uh, but now I'm hearing you share a little bit too about the challenges and it sounds like everybody has to think differently. I know that, especially with test optional and the SCOTUS ruling, some schools have stood up and taken yeah. on this. So let's talk about where we think this is trending. Like, do you have a sense for what the next yeah. few years are going to look like for students impacted by the SCOTUS ruling, you know, historically marginalized communities? Like what, what are we, what's the advice you're giving today? That is so, that's such a great question. I'm actually having a panel on this in a few weeks and can't wait to hear what admissions counselors say about it. Um, So right now, the way I'm thinking, because with college, with Doc Brock, I do do individual counseling for students. What I'm telling my students is to try to incorporate things about who they are, whether it's like, you know, identifying markers that they feel um, might help an admissions counselor understand their experience, but try their best to incorporate that in their application. Um, so for example, I, um, if there's a student who is really into the medical field and they think they want to be a doctor, but then they know that that experience might be different for them as a Black woman, and how does that um, come into play and they maybe want to write about that, I would encourage them to kind of include some of those things about who they are, 
what they're about, what they care about, um, to just give as much um, color to their, and I don't mean race, (laughs) but color to their application um, as possible. Because if you're not able to have that be a consideration, I think it's at least important to be able to explain to a school how your experience, whether it's like racially or culturally or economically, has impacted your overall experience um, as you're applying to college. And so I encourage them to include that. And we'll see if that's a recommendation um, from admissions counselors. I think right now they're all just kind of scrambling to figure out what they're actually allowed to do legally. Um, and, And that's what they're all like going for now. But one thing I will say, and this is just, this is, from me that I'm not representing anybody else by saying this, this is my belief. Um, I do believe in going into spaces where you're celebrated. And I think that also includes college. And so I think for a student who is fearful of naming something about their culture or their identity or something like that in an essay, um, because they think it'll affect their chances of getting in, I would say maybe you don't want to go to that college. Um, And so I think that's like the other side of it that maybe someone would argue. But I think we're well beyond that um, of of thinking that way. And we should at least be beyond thinking that way um, and going to colleges where it's like a good social fit for us. Before transitioning with that point you just made, I do want to like make space and, and acknowledge that this is incredibly impactful for millions of children and yeah. students applying to college this year and in the next couple of years and personal opinion representing myself. <laughs> right. We have to do that sometimes, right? Yeah. It, it, it's not something that it feels natural. And I, it just, the changing landscape is one that is going to have a tremendous impact in very very negative ways um Mm -hmm. for the for the united states of america Mm -hmm. i worry i really worry and i think that having uh so many people thinking about how we could support our youth um Mm -hmm. you know our black and our brown youth in their process is inspiring and that gives me a lot of hope and optimism and i hope the folks listening to this today are are taking some of your suggestions and Mm -hmm. like it gives them the the encouragement to continue supporting children as they go through this phase of their life. Yeah, it's really important. And I agree. It's, it's um, really challenging. And I, I am so curious to see how this unfolds over the next year. And and then I think we'll have more answers about how to move forward. Now you did name something, Casey, that I think is hugely important, which is about fit. And you are one element of fit here, but can you talk a little bit about the type of advice you give regarding college fit? Yeah. Yeah. I always tell students when I work with them, I'm like, I'm going to treat you like my little cousin. <laughs> That's kind of how I approach it. It's like, how would you treat family? What would you tell family to do? Um, so there's match and there's fit, which I identify as like two different things. Um, match being kind of like the science behind um, the college process. So what are your test scores? What has the academic rigor been of your high school experience? What are your SAT scores, ACT scores, if you've taken it? Um, like, how do we look at those numbers and figure out 
if you will likely get into a school and then you kind of create a list that has like the match schools there. Um, they've got some school in, there's like a range. So there's target, which is like, and some people call that match, which is like an exact match. You've got reach schools. And then we don't call them safeties anymore. We've got likely schools because safety just does not sound great or exciting. Um, And likely, it just means you're likely to get in. It doesn't mean it's like a school you don't want to go to. And I always tell kids to make sure they put a lot of energy into that one because you might end up going there and you want to be excited about it. And you can be excited about a school that falls into that range. Um, So that's match. On the fit side, this is the piece where it comes like, you know, how well do you know yourself and how well do you know the student as a counselor or a teacher or a parent? And those are things like, you know, how large is the school? Where is it located? Um, Will, do I see myself fitting in there? Are there activities that I really enjoy? Does it have a major that, um, that I'm interested in? And so for that piece, I think it's really important to just do some self-exploration. And I just do a lot of questions with kids and with families. Um, and then also thinking about financial fit too. And is it a realistic, um, is it a realistic school that kids can go to depending on what their financial aid package can be? And I think with the, with that piece, with that being said, um, it is important to know a lot of students do end up undermatching um, to schools, but a lot of that has to do with that sticker price. But actually, if students are, um, if their family does not earn a lot of money, they are more likely to get more money for school. And I think that that's unfortunately a myth that they won't get money. And so they end up not applying because they're too nervous about it. Um, and my goal with kids is I say this, I'm like, hey, on April 1st, would you rather have a whole lot of pieces of paper in front of you and you make the decision or do you want someone to make that decision for you? And so the goal for me is always to just make sure students have a range of choices. And so that way you can feel like they're in an empowering place where they're able to make the decision for themselves. That's so much to consider. Mm -hmm. And it just feels fundamentally different than how I remember going through this process for myself. Yeah, right. Same. And I think like there are some TV shows that represent this process recently where it talks about students who are just myopic about match, but not yeah. fit. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that it must be challenging for kids. You know, I was talking to someone recently who talked about, there's a book out that talks about the power of U.S. News and World Report. Mm. Their recently released uh, best schools in America list for kids' brains. I could see that. How do you feel about it? What, like, how does that play into the conversations you're having with kids today? Yeah, you know, I'm gonna always keep it real. So here's an example. Like, we're always thinking like, oh, go to the most prestigious schools. But I've worked with kids who've gotten into schools like Yale and you know, Stanford, like really competitive schools. And it may not have been the best fit for them because there's so much to consider. So for example, um, I believe undermatching, maybe this is controversial, hot take. Sometimes undermatching is a good thing. If I'm working with a student and they haven't had super rigorous science courses, but they want to do pre-med, I'm more likely to tell them to go to a school that's smaller, a little bit less competitive where they can get a ton of support. So if they have to choose between a really large school with huge classes and all of that, 
um, versus say Xavier, who has an incredible number in HBCU in New Orleans has an incredible number of black students who go into medicine, I'm probably going to tell them to entertain Xavier, even if maybe the graduation rate may not be as high, they'll get that support that they're looking for. Um, or maybe like a small liberal arts school um, that that will have that support for them. So I think that's like kind of like the de- like level of detail that you'd have to go into, which is why I feel really passionate. Also, I'd say another part of the consulting work I do is with um, districts and with networks to help them understand how to educate counselors. That piece is so important because I think a lot of counselors don't understand the work to that level. And unfortunately, um, you know this because you've been in schools before. When you're at a school, teachers go off for their PD, school leaders go off for their PD, it's very rare that counselors get that opportunity to get that kind of um, support and continued education. And that's an area I feel really passionate about, but it's also very frustrating to me because in in order to make sure our students go to their best fit schools, like the adults have to also understand like how the landscape is changing, how to support kids um, and how to be like really good advisors for them. I love that. I mean, it all comes down to people having the right resources to be oh, yeah. maximally equipped to help kids. And that is a big gap that you're totally. in. I wasn't really aware of. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the type of continuing education occurring for that population in the way that allows them to be able to make that assessment of best fit for students. Yeah. And a lot of guidance counselors, I don't know about your experience, but I went to a larger public high school. And in my experience, I don't even remember who my counselors were. Um, I remember getting my transcript from them. That's it. I don't remember them being super encouraging. I do recall that. Um, But outside of that, I didn't really interact with them. And so they were guidance counselors. They worked with transcripts and, you know, did a little bit of guidance counseling, but they didn't really do college counseling. And a lot of schools actually do not have a dedicated college counselor. So as you'd imagine, there's definitely a gap, and especially in schools that are located in certain communities, um, you know, that may not have like resources, then they definitely um, tend to not have the latest and greatest like knowledge on this work, but also um, a dedicated college counselor, which is un- completely unfair. Yeah, very unfair. I mm-hmm. candidly don't remember, but that's a that's a me issue. My my memory. Is not <laughs> You'd probably remember if they were great, but yeah. none of that. <laughs> um. Wow. Yeah. No, that is huge. So you know, students today are dealing with all sorts of a different landscape. How are you finding, I mean, you're not in the same role today that you were when you were uh, leading the college to and through program, but are the experiences in college any different? Like how, how in touch are you with right now? the experience of some of the students you've worked with that are in college right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say for students in college right now, COVID unfortunately has been a huge part of their story. 
So the current graduating seniors in high school and in college were the COVID freshmen. Um, and it's funny, I was helping a student edit an essay the other day and she had that in there and I'm like, oh yeah, that's crazy. And so I think, unfortunately for them, they missed a key opportunity to build some of those connections um, and habits and um, you know get those same resources that other students got. Um, so I would say that's definitely one difference. Um, and I would say another and, you know, kind of going into the application side of things is what students want to major in. Like those, like that trend changes quite a bit. And there are some majors that are just, um, oh, I would say a lot of students want to do um, like biology, computer science, IT, like those types of things. Um, and though there are certain majors that are really popular right now. Um, and then I would say experience wise, just the job landscape changing so much. It sounds a little silly, but it is actually very true that a lot of students are thinking about, um, like entrepreneurship and social media jobs and influencing and that is absolutely something that a lot of students are interested in. And so I think as educators, just figuring out how to foster that excitement around that feels really important. But also thinking about, you know, what does that mean for the college landscape when for a lot of the jobs that are really popular and seem exciting right now don't require a college degree. Um, and I, there's lots of articles about it. I saw one yesterday about, you know, how, you know, that landscape is changing and how a lot of students are saying, call is college worth it? Um, and I think that's an interesting question and something that I think over the next couple of decades, we'll see how people value it. I'll be honest. There's a whole, I, you kind of touched on this. I think you alluded to it. Mm -hmm. For me, there's a whole other piece about the changing of the world with the real integration of machine learning and like large oh, yeah. learning models and how the jobs that exist today will be fundamentally different. Oh yeah. I heard a panel two months ago about the way that colleges have to teach, not, a, not because kids have access to chat GPT, but the way colleges and universities teach today has to change quickly because the jobs that kids will be applying for on the yes. other side will be totally different. Oh, yeah. And it blew my mind. Oh, yeah. Yes, they do have to teach differently. Yes, it's happening. And, you know, a lot of the teachers are uh, not as excited about these changes. So um, I actually sat in on a really cool um, workshop the other day where they were talking about AI. And it's a lot of people like my age or maybe a little older. And some people in the room were excited and others were a little anti. And by the end of it, we were all like, wow, this is pretty cool. Let's wrap our heads around this and then think how do we support school leaders and everyone else with this change because it's happening whether we want it to or not. And so I think we just have to figure out how do we incorporate this into the work that we do. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the big question is like mm -hmm. how do we adjust the world we're living in, the work we do, how we approach teaching and learning at every level to prepare students for the society that we don't really know what it looks like yet. Right. No one's sure about what's yeah. <laughs> going to change and how you just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. 
big big questions big here, questions Haley. it's questions. so many these like take up my whole brain all the time <laughs> yeah I bet I bet where where do you do most of your learning you said you were going to a panel uh to really get the perspective of a bunch of college admissions mm-hmm. is there's you know, I, I'm going back now to this point about college counselors when they do exist within a school yeah. where they're professional learning. Do you have any suggestions or advice about places that folks can do their professional learning if they'd like to do so independently? Oh my goodness. That's such a good question. and so hard to answer. Believe it or not, there are definitely courses a counselor can take for sure on this, but there's no... So most school districts don't have like a dedicated PD structure for counselors. That would be my dream (laughs) is for them to have something like that um, where they get to go to regular PD. Because unfortunately, even though nationally you can learn a ton about this, it is actually a very like regional and local play. You have to understand where you live what's possible in your region, in your state. And then of course, there's going to be opportunities for students to go outside of that, but you've got to have that understanding of what's happening there. Um, So I would say, you know, I do um, for my job provide that um, for schools that we work with, which is really exciting. But a big reason I do is because I know that there's not a lot out there. Um, but there, I would say like for a counselor now, I would tell them to look at a local opportunity um, because there are some, and I don't know if I should name them right now or not, but maybe we will put them in like the show notes or something if I can, but um, <laughs> I don't know, but there are some programs out there, but like I said, it's best if it's regional. That makes a ton of sense. It's like everything in education. Nothing yeah. is the same across the country. Nothing. Nothing. They just state the same. I was appreciative of some research that I shared today on my own LinkedIn uh, about the regionalization and localization of even teacher vacancies. Like, yeah, it's it's infuriating to me a little bit as like someone who works nationally with schools, how different it is within a district, like the issue within a district can be so varied. Um, so I imagine I'm, I'm not surprised to hear you say it's no different for the type of learning, professional learning Mm -hmm. that would benefit person in this role but it also makes a lot of sense so Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely case you you alluded or mentioned uh teachers a moment ago and I think we're at a really good point for you to kind of bring it all home here (laughs) uh, and tell us what advice would you give a teacher working with students applying to college so again not specifically a college counselor but a teacher in the classroom what advice would you give them Oh my goodness. So anytime I do a PD for a school, I, and everybody may not agree with this, but I look around the room and I'm like, everybody in here is a college counselor. And they're like, what? (laughs) And I'm like, no, but you are. And the reason I say that is because if you think about it, students see their counselor maybe once a month, maybe freshman year. But they have so many interactions with teachers, with coaches, with everybody in the building, ninth through 12th grade. And so what I would say is for any teacher to just understand themselves, like what the college process is like now, maybe sit down and talk to that counselor and hear a little bit more about what they're looking for, 
and do their own research so that they can support students when they have those conversations. The worst thing that can happen is for a student to go up and say, hey, I want to go to the school and a teacher say, what's that? I don't don't think you should go there or you must go here. I've seen it happen before, right? And I've seen kids just feel really discouraged by that. And so I would say that's number one. Number two, a lot of schools are now thinking about supporting all pathways instead of just college. And so I think any schools um, that can just like understand like what those um, pathways look like um, for students is really important if students do want to take that pathway, but also making sure that they're vetting those. And that's like a whole other conversation that we can have later, but I want to incorporate that because that is something that does keep coming up in my work is thinking about other pathways. Um, and then I would say like the third, make sure that your letters of recommendation are really good. (laughs) Kids are really relying on these right now. Mm -hmm. And some of them are so amazing. And I've also seen some that are not great for kids who are stellar. So putting a lot of energy and effort and love into those letters of rec for kids is really important. So I'd say that's the third one. Um, And yeah, just keep learning. Keep trying to understand so that you can be the best you can be for the kids because they deserve it. Casey, as always, I like leave every conversation with you just feeling so inspired and excited about the work and the way you're contributing to this world. I really appreciate you sharing it here on the podcast and I'm excited to continue to follow your journey. I, uh, I always am just beyond a proud friend to watch you (laughs) support students in different ways. So thanks for coming on and sharing some of those with everybody on the learning can't wait podcast today. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for everybody listening. Yes. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Learning Can't Wait podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and share this episode. Be the first to know when we have a new episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have a suggestion for an episode, email us at podcast at fullmindlearning.com.